I have a lot of stuff with me when I, when I, wherever I go. Janie says we need a bigger bed because when you go to bed, you have your iPad, your iPhone, your, 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 what else do I have, Janie? She, remotes. What else? My, my Mac Air. My dog. <laughs> I need a bigger bed. She's over there on the side of the bed like this. and Yeah, so anyway, so good to be with you guys. Um, you know, if you're new today, we um, are super excited you're here. And um, if you're old here today, that means over whatever. But uh, we're excited you're here today, too. But um, we're, we're, you know, less excited about you. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but if you're, if you're new today here, and maybe you're not the first week of being here, but maybe, you know, it's third, fourth, whatever week, um, you know, and we want you to um, connect and here's the, the deal. If you've been here for a while, you need to, to do the connecting with uh, the new people. And, uh, you know, it's so easy as humans to uh, kind of connect uh, with our already established um, uh, circle. And what we, what we have here at, uh, at uh, Granite Creek is a horseshoe, not a circle. Does that make sense? A horseshoe doesn't glow, you know, connect together. So we play horseshoes here every week. And, and so what we're doing is we, we are and, you know, connecting with people here every single week. And it takes a little bit of uh, you know, wherewithal to do that. And sometimes it's difficult for a, for a couple, for example, go two-on-two. Two. It's easier to have two twos, uh, you know, four people with another couple. It's way easier to do that. So you and another couple you know invite another couple. So you'd have six people to go have lunch, show them love. You know how to spell love, don't you? C-H-I-P-O-T-L-E. That's how you spell love. And so <laughs> there's all sorts of chipotles around here. And uh, I like to say, uh, take them out to get a, a burrito as big as their head. And uh, you pay for it, of course. Uh, you know, they, their money is not good there. And take them out and so forth. And uh, just get a burrito bowl or a burrito and so forth. Uh, try the sofritas. That's, yes, it's actually um, um, what do you, to, tofu. It's, it's kind of a fun thing. And it's very hot. And... You know, so it's, it's really good stuff. So glad you're here. Let me show you a picture here. We're finishing up our series today on the fear of not enough. And let me show you a picture that might scare you a little bit. There's a black widow spider there, as you see it here. It's on the ankle of a friend of mine, Janie's name, Bill Davis. And he and his wife, Darlene, are uh, really cool people. They go around the country and do marriage uh, seminars that are Sometimes you hear the word marriage seminar and you go, oh my word, it sounds like nothing I would be interested in. I already had my wisdom teeth pulled out. I don't need another marriage seminar. But uh, these guys are incredibly cool and uh, might be worth going to. I, I know for sure it would be worth going to. And then Bill gives his uh, testimony, which I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet. But he, he's been uh, for an extended time in the L.A. County Jail for safe cracking. And when he was there, he had two side jails. Now, at the L.A. County Jail, which some of you might be very well aware of it, um, no hands raised, but uh, I know there's a couple of guys here I already know that uh, I'm not sure if they were there or somebody somewhere else, Soledad or wherever they were. But anyway, at the L.A. County Jail, he was there for a couple of years. I didn't know you could be there that long, but he was there. You have uh, bars, and you don't have your own solitary um, cell, but you have bars, and then you're next to another guy. Over here was Wet Willie, who was a veteran safecracker. And so over at the other side was another guy who was on trial for a, a little thing called the Tate-LaBianca murders. 
And uh, they were trying to find this guy uh, guilty, what have you, and he was ended up finding guilty in the end. He was the guy that put a little swastika on his forehead. You might have heard about this guy, Charlie Manson. And uh, so uh, anyway, Charlie Manson, who by the way is from northern Kentucky, which is just across the, the river from where Jenny and I lived for a long time, Cincinnati. And uh, a very sad story. Uh, I won't get into that right now. But my friend Bill was talking to Charlie one night, as they often talked and so forth, smoked, whatever, whatever. And uh, he says, you know, my greatest fear in life is spiders, especially, especially black widow spiders. And Charlie goes, really? And so a couple of nights later, he goes, do you have a tattoo? And he says, uh, no, I've always wanted to get one. So this is way before tattoos were cool, but this is like he's ahead of the game a little bit, you know. And he says, I can give you a tattoo. Really, how could you do that? He goes, well, I uh, got a, uh, you know, a, a, what do you call it, a paper clip. And I sharpened it down to a very fine point, and I got some, some uh, discarded, uh, uh, what do you call it, Janie, carbon paper, and I burned it, and we have a little, you know, for ink for that. And so we got a little wrapping off the, the mattress, and so they had their homemade, um, you know, tattoo machine there. And he says, yeah, I can give it to you tonight. It won't take very long. This was made in 1970. Here we are, 43 years later, it looks like it was done professionally. It really was. Now, Charlie Manson's well-known as a very skilled artist. You perhaps knew that, because many of you are very into Charlie Manson. I know that. Anyway, he, he is, uh, seriously, he's uh, quite a musician and uh, quite a uh, skilled artist. And so what he did is he says, stick your leg through the bars, and they were sitting there talking and whatever else, and he does a... Uh, like an incredibly skilled uh, black widow. He goes, what do you give me as a tattoo? He goes, you'll see. And so <laughs> uh, he, he does it, as you perhaps know, there's a, well, with a homemade tattoo thing in a gel, it, you know, it bleeds and so forth. They put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, about three weeks later, the whole thing, the, the scab falls off, and he looks at it and goes, oh, my word, it's a black widow spider. And so, uh, you know, by that time, Charlie's found guilty of the Tate LaBianca murders. Uh, he's, you know, sent to wherever prison he's at, and he's been there. He'll be there till the day he dies, of course. He was in, in the news this week because he's marrying somebody. I don't know if you saw that or not. But uh, anyway, uh, what goes on is he says, now, this is interesting. Every single day I put on my socks, I look at that black widow spider, and I'm reminded that of something that I have grown beyond, the fear of spiders. Interesting stuff, isn't it? And he says, you know, in an interesting way, and I'm going to touch on this a couple of times here, that God has used the craziness of a guy like Charles Manson to do something in my heart. Figure, go figure that. That even a crazy guy like Charles Manson, God has used him in my life. Put that in the back burner for a second here. Okay, today we've been, we've been looking the last several weeks, if you're new here today or you haven't caught the rest of the series, at overcoming the fear of not enough. And looking at Moses, and that Moses is a fantastic model for how we can overcome the fear of not enough, which is a cruel, horrible thing to be stuck in. And that Moses had to face the fear of not enough. I've been noticing that you could go on this series for 12 weeks easily and be begun to think that maybe this could be a book. And, and uh, Janie said she'd buy one if I wrote it. My mom, who's here today, by the way, you might want to talk to her. She's a character. And uh, she said she'd buy one, and, and my kids would buy one, and Uncle Larry said he'd buy one. So that's about six right there. And I could actually buy a, you know, an In-N-Out burger with that. And so I might just write it for six copies. You know? But anyway, uh, you know, overcoming the fear of not enough, the fear of not enough, 
you know, really interesting how this all plays out. But we just spent three weeks on it, not, not 12, thank you very much. And, and as, as w the way it works that is, as we do, you know, it kind of doesn't make sense to the rational mind, but it makes perfect sense in terms of the Bible, that if we fear not enough time, we give away the time we have. And God, you know, does something powerful. If we fear not enough love, we give away the love we do have. And by the way, if you don't give away the love you do have, we become the weirdest, strangest people on planet Earth. Which, by the way, marks a lot of the observations of people who are criticizing the church. Have you noticed that? All the people who hate the church say, they're like this, they're like this, they're like this, and very often they're accurate. Because the natural inclination for people, including especially Christians very often, is to grab on to the little bit of love they have. And that makes you some of the weirdest cotton-picking people on planet Earth. Does that make sense? And all the cliches they talk about are fairly accurate, actually. And if we fear we don't have enough money, what do we do? We grab on to the money. Anybody here been a waiter, waitress before? I have. For, and guess what? Janie and I met because we were waiters and waitresses. She was better than me. But anyway, she was really good. Have you seen? She, was, she actually carried four and one plate on her head. It was really amazing. She could... She got the tips, I tell you what. But um, anyway, what was going on was, she was going to, she likes to point out, I was going to graduate school at the same time, too. You know, okay. I was, uh, she said I just graduated, and I thought she meant high school because she looked so young at the time, and she was going to graduate school at the time. But anyway, um, so here's what, what happens. If you work on Sunday afternoons, you're stuck with the church people. You're stuck. And the church people have the weirdest attitudes. They tip like nothing. It's unbelievable because they lack the love. And on top of that, they, they, they don't know how to tip. It's, it's exactly the manifestation of the fear of not enough love, the fear of not enough money, and they are grouchy on top of that. We could both tell you story after story after story. It's incredible. If you've been a waitress, how many waitresses and waiters had, were stuck working on Sunday afternoon with the, the church crowd? There's a couple of hands going up. We could have a recovery group afterwards, couldn't we? <laughs> oh, my word. You know, they had this in the 80s, the Bataka Bat therapy, where you take a, a little foam bat and you whack the chair and you say, I'm so mad, I can't, you know, I'm not going to take it any longer. You know, that we could do the Bataka Bat therapy group or something. You know, it really is one of those crazy things. We're not known for that, are we, at Granite Creek? We are fantastic tippers, aren't we? 15%, if they forget about us, they say, thank you for coming here. They don't bring our food. We, we love them. We give them, okay, that's an exaggeration, but you get the point. We, we give great tips. Someday we'll do a whole series on tipping. But uh, if we fear not enough, we do the weirdest things. We have to become people who become, do the opposite of that. We fear, here's the big one, not enough money, then we become graspers of the money we do have, which, as I just said, you know, fairly well describes the vast majority of church people, very sadly. Well, today we're going to do this one fear I think is a gigantic one. We save the best for last, as they often do, as is often said in, in life. By the way, I keep on drinking this water because I've been taking uh, Sudafed, which is an allergy medication. So I, I kind of went on a fast for the last couple of days thinking I wouldn't have to drink a lot of water. So I hope you appreciate my effort here. Okay. Okay. So, but then I'm coughing when I don't take the medication. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. But uh, okay. Okay. Just telling you. Okay. So <clears throat> today, here's the fear. Overcoming the fear of being forgotten. 
the fear of being forgotten. And you know, when we're young, we don't have that fear at all. When you're in your 20s, teens for sure, in your 20s, maybe early 30s, you're convinced of something crazy. I will never die. Oh, I will never die. I can take all sorts of outlandish risks. I will never die. In fact, my middle name is Gumby. Okay, I can stretch, I can move everything, I will never die. My other name is, is Pokey. You know, that's my, my Pokey Gumby Shogren. You know, and I can just do all these things, I will never die. You know, I, I remember there was a show on, and this really dates me, Then Came Bronson. Some of you might remember that show. He would ride his Harley Davidson sometimes, standing on the seat. He would kind of set the accelerator on his motorcycle. When he got in a really good mood, had too much coffee to drink, I don't know what, he would ride it on his seat, standing up. My friends and I, Stephen James, Wichita, Kansas, a good place to be from. In the winter, it's so cold, you can't stand it. In the summer, it's like an oven blast on you. A good place to be from. But Stephen James and I would ride our motorcycles. My mom has never heard this. Standing up on our seats, going like this. She's praying for me now. Thank you, God, that he never died. But uh, we thought we were Gumbies and Pokies. You know, if you die, if you, if you trash, you'll just kind of go like this, and, you know, it'll be okay. Helmets, who needs a helmet? Forget the helmets. That's for sissies, you know. Okay. And... Uh, you see, that's when you're teenagers, you're in your 20s, you know, people drinking and, and driving and sometimes drinking crazy amounts and, you know, how can the body withstand, and that was not what I was into actually, but some people doing those kinds of things and, you know, how many reds can you take and still be alive and, you know, a, a friend of mine took too many reds, which is a, a downer and, you know, there's kind of a contest at a party and, and he did die, you know, I guess he won the contest, you know, and, and so... He's crazy, insane, in the membrane is my, one of my favorite songs, as Cypress Hill sings. And uh, so it kind of goes into this whole thing, I will never die. When you hit about 40, 45, men and women do opposite things. Men become uh, attached to what they've accomplished in their careers. And women get attached to the relationships they, they force, or they, they accomplish. And, and both of them really don't work very well. And so with men, it's what have I accomplished? They begin to go into a panic about 45, maybe 50. They begin to, to you know, go back and forth. You know, you know the, they wear a hole in the rug and, you know, I haven't accomplished enough. I haven't accomplished enough. And they begin to, you know, go crazy. And, you know, the, this, the, what really solves the problem, it's a fantastic response, is getting a red Corvette. And, uh, okay, I have a lot of Corvette jokes, which I won't go into. But if you come up afterwards, I'll tell you some. They're not fit for public consumption. But... But, uh, you know, that, that's a perfect response to not having enough of a, a great, you know, investment in life. And then, uh, and, you know, so on and so forth. I'll never be remembered for anything. And with Moses, he spent 40 years maybe on the right track for being remembered and so forth. Then 40 years having no kind of thing that would he be remembered for as a guy. You know, he's in panic, going, I'll just die out here and so forth. And then women do something slightly more, I, I think, better investment. They, they, they're all about having a network of friends. But in the end, that will not last either because they're going to die in the end. I have a friend who is a, uh, you know, a great salesman. He, he's kind of oversees a whole you know, flock of insurance guys. And he said, I just checked in with an actuarial guy that has to do with you know, who we take a risk on in selling life insurance. And he said, you know, the, the latest statistics show that pretty close to 100%, uh, or it's right about 100% or hovering that will we'll die in life. 
It is hovering right around 100% now. Latest statistics, right around 100%. Interesting stuff. So, um, and, and I think that a lot of pokies and gumbies, and when, when you're about 45 or 50, that kind of hits you one day. I'm probably, all likelihood, going to die one day. And uh, do we, you get older and you begin to realize that's really going to happen. And so what, what happens to Moses here is he begins to fear, I'm going to go to my grave. I will not have changed anything. I will have lived a life of insignificance. Now let's talk about real, let's just go ahead and attack that here today of how we can live a, a life of significance and how we can come up with some ways of doing that, how, how God can, can make a, a difference through us. Just three dares, three dares that says, God says, I dare you, I dare you, I dare you to live differently. First of all, I dare you to let go of the, of the staff, the, the rod of provision that I have made. Okay, uh, then he said, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 3, uh, then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. I like the King James Version. It became a viper. Ooh, did you like that? It wasn't a, wasn't a gardener, you know. Oh, yes, it was a little, you know, gardener snake, you know, so cute. It was, a, it was a viper. And if he had a tattoo on his leg, guess what it would have been? One of those things like there was the fangs hanging out. You know, every time he put his socks on, it would have been going like this, oh, my word. I doubt if Charlie Manson was around at that time, but it would have been kind of a scary thing. Did they have tattoos back then? I know some of the tribes, like in, uh, you know, the Maori, I was in New Zealand a few times, and the Maori, they had tattoos going way back, thousands of years. So maybe they had, I don't know. Uh, he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, uh, a viper, and Moses fled from it. He was scared to death. One of his irrational fears was up there with it was vipers. And, and so, uh, you know, there is a, a shepherd's staff in, in all of our lives. And, and yours is unique from anybody else's. I don't know what your, your deal is there. But, uh, again, he had been, I, I think, depressed. He had been, you know, up against the wall. He had no uh, great response to the, the, the fears that were in his life. Um, you know, again, he had no way of responding. All of a sudden, God shows up. He has a little burning ember of the possibility that life might actually change as God shows up. And then God does show up in a big way. Again, he ignited the, the shrubbery. It wasn't just a little bit, but a gigantic flame. He goes, all right, something's going to change. And, and again, it was something, he, he talked about the, the, you know, the rod, the staff. And, and he says, this thing is really pretty cool. Now he says, now throw it down. He's going, oh, my word, every possibility of life is falling apart. And, and the translation of what he says about throwing it down, this is the translation, let go of the provision that I have made. Let go of the provision that I have made. And, and so it requires this, this willingness to embrace a, a scariness, you know, kind of a, a fear. Embrace the, the fear of the possibility of loss is what it comes down to. It takes some, some guts to do that. It takes some... Some matzah, or is that the Yiddish word? Anybody Yiddish in here? It's not a culture, is it Yiddish? It's a, okay, okay. No Yiddish people. You have to go to New York or parts of L.A., I guess, to, okay, moving along. I should have looked at it before I started talking. But, uh, so to succeed, you have to let go of, of, the, of the staff, of the, the promise of provision that God has made. So we need to, to do that. Let's go on to the next thing, because to do that, we have to go on to the second idea or the second dare. Dare to pick up the empowerment 
of the shepherd's rod slash staff. Um, and and it's, when he does pick it up, it's a completely different staff at this point. Now, it's a completely different staff at this point. It isn't just a staff. It's a staff staff. Isn't it funny when we say the words like that? Staff staff. It isn't a bottle of water. It's just a, it's a water water. <laughs> isn't it funny how we say two words in a row? It's a water, not water. It's water water. It's like special water. Okay. <laughs> it's funny how we say it in America. We say two words in a row. We emphasize one word. It isn't just pastor. It's pastor, pastor. He isn't just a pastor. He's pastor, pastor. Okay, you guys don't get it. I've lived in Southern California and other places where I have Spanish speaking a long time, and you don't say, I never heard anybody say, bueno, bueno. <laughs> it's really good. Bueno, bueno. Okay. But think about that. It'll hit you on the way home. But anyway, so it's not just a staff, it's a staff staff. It's, it's a really, you can't go down to a lumber yard and say, I'll take a staff. And, you know, a staff staff. It's no big deal. A staff is a staff is a staff. This is a staff staff. It's a, you know, you can't just, you know, buy any old staff and it's the same thing. This is the, the real thing. It's one of a kind. It's unique in the entire world that will never has been, never will be again. It's the one that, that God has touched, has empowered, and there will never be a, a staff like it again. Look at this, this verse in, in uh, Exodus chapter 4. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. Now, I'm not a, you know, a viper expert, but I know a couple things about snakes. I watched, I, you know, I, I do know about snakes. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and uh, I have watched a few snake shows on TV, and my uncle Ed, Edwin, my mom's brother, is a, a character. He took me snake hunting a few times, and uh, it, in Arizona, it was kind of a kick. Like I said, I'm from Wichita, so anything in Arizona is fascinating to me. And uh, I remember uh, sitting in the back seat of his uh, car with one of his snake friends, snake finding friends, and there was a gunny sack on the, on the floor uh, right under my feet, and it was kind of moving a little bit. It was tied shut, thank God. And uh, I said, what's back? And he goes, oh, about six rattlesnakes. And I'm going, whoa. And uh, he says, don't worry, they, want, they can't do anything. Uh, they're, they're safe. And I'm going, what does that safe, safe, you know, mean? It was one of those double words again. And uh, he says, we're going to catch a bunch more, and the other bag was empty. And so we went out, and you know, at night the snakes go out into the road because it's warmer. They like the warmer climates and so forth. And he says, the one main thing you do is you never grab them by the tail. That's how you get bitten by the tail. You know, you, he, in his case, they would hold down their, their heads and then grab them behind the head, and that was safe. You with me here? And, you know, all the snake shows that are on, on TV is you grab them by the head, you know, whether it's a cobra or a black mamba or whatever the case is, the kind that can kill an elephant with one bite. You never, ever grab them by the tail. So God does the exact opposite of the safe way. He says grab them by the tail. Here's Moses. He knows all about snake culture. He's been in this part of the world. There's all sorts of snakes. All of them can kill you. It's a viper. Okay, grab by the tail. Oh, my word. It doesn't say how long it took him to grab by the tail. If it was me, I'd have been going, mm. <laughs> it might have been 15, 20 minutes. He probably had a sweat ring down to here someplace. I don't care what kind of deodorant he used, you know. Oh, my word. You know, there's a, I always assumed it was like, ding, like this. But, you know, some, it doesn't say that. 
There's no indication in any of the, the, the text that it was just an instantaneous boom, bada, bing. It was, you know, just kind of a, you know, so he stretched out his hand and caught it. It was kind of a, <laughs> you know, and I think he counted the cost. Maybe he wore the snake out. The snake is chasing him, you know, and back and forth, and maybe the snake is so tired at the end, he is kind of, <laughs> and he goes, and by the tail then, you know, I don't know, this is my, my guess here. It's taking a wild guess, kind of a Monty Python, you know, redoing the whole thing, and, you know, okay, I'll let you catch me finally in the end, you know. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Okay, you with me here? You know, he wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to not obey God. But it took some guts to follow through on this whole thing. And my guess, again, is that he, it took a little bit of guts. You know, if it was me, I think I would have been hesitant. Anybody else here, you would have been hesitant? Would you just grab the thing by the, by the tail? And, you know, he had already been hesitant over about 117 things. That's an Indiana number. 117. That's a big number. Right up there with Google. It's right up there. 117 things he had been hesitant to do. Why would he change now? You know, so I think he might have hesitated a little bit. But he finally worked his way up. He grabs it by the tail. And then it became a, a staff again. So from that point on, he had empowered staff. And, you know, here's my thought on this whole thing. Just, just think about this for a second. Again, it was not a staff. It was a staff staff. And so he's walking around the rest of his life with this staff staff. And it became such a, a powerful emblem of what Moses' life was all about that from then on, you begin to, to see this thing reappear and reappear. And what, what he had in his hand, if it was me, I'd be a little bit afraid of the staff. You know why? Because you never know when it might turn into a, a viper again. <laughs> you never know. You know, not that it was a bad, not that, it, you know, God's going to sneak up on you or anything, but this thing was so powerful, you know, you just never know. This thing was a, a powerful, powerful thing right in your hand. And it looked like a regular old staff, but don't make the mistake of understating, under under uh, guessing how powerful this staff was. Hello, anybody out there? You know, Bueller, Bueller. Okay, <laughs> you, that was a movie. Okay, but uh, <laughs> so you see, what I'm saying here that. It was this thing that he was, uh, I think he was an incredible level of, of, uh, of fear. It would have been me anyway. I, I think that, I don't think a negative fear, but a respect for the possibility that this thing was going to be able to do some amazing stuff in the long run. And so, you know, it, you see later on, not in the Exodus text, but later on in the, in the, um, in the, the Pentateuch, Matthew, I mean, Exodus through, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, uh, that um, this staff became a, a point of healing. You see him later on putting it in the ground, and the people who were, who were bitten by the snakes, it, it becomes something to look at, and they were healed as they looked at it. It becomes a point of, of, uh, of empowering the staff had all sorts of, of power upon it. And, and you know, when he parts the, the Red Sea, the staff was a part of the whole thing. This thing was the very center of what God did, not just through Moses, but through the people of Israel. You with me here? It was an empowered staff. And so it, it was an amazing, amazing thing that God did there. And, and yet it was in the middle of him being beaten and knocked around and so forth. And I kind of relate to you know, the, the story of Moses, the hesitation, the, the difficulty he had been through. I love this story, this song by, um, 
by good old uh, Frank Sinatra. Uh, you've heard the song, Life, That's Life. Haven't you heard it before? Yeah. Were you in high school like I was when it first came out? Okay. Um, I've been up and down, over and out, and I know one thing. Each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. See, that's what we've got to get down to. Is we don't just, we got to have an enduring, indomitable spirit. An indomitable spirit. You know, even though I, I feel like giving up along the way, I'm just going to keep on going on. Because my tendency, maybe yours as well, is to exaggerate the greatness of the challenge and to understate how little that I have in hand. You know, the spider, oh, it was big as a Volkswagen. Oh, my word. It could kill a, oh, my word. The snake was, oh, it was bigger. It was longer than this thing right here, this little beam right here. It was really big. You know, I could never possibly grab it by the tail. And I am so weak. I'm weaker than a baby, the smallest baby in the entire world. You know, and yet, as we just hang in there, God is willing and able to, to just, he's able to hang in there with us. And to, we take a baby step, he takes a gigantic step toward us. He empowers us with the staff that he provides. Last point, he gives us a last dare. I dare you, I dare you, he says, to release the staff, the rod, and it will mark you forever. As you release the rod, it will mark you forever. Look at this verse in Matthew 17. Six days later, three of them saw the glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. I've read that over the years, and I thought, how did they know it was Moses? I don't think he had a sign, you know, or a you know, digital Moses. Or uh, how did they know it was Elijah? See, what it represents is the law and the prophetic, which is basically the, the Old Testament being laid out there before them. Now, Elijah, I got an idea here. I think that he had a, you know, kind of this, there's ways of, you know, identifying Elijah, that he had this, uh, this kind of an anointing, uh, this leather thing that was mentioned a couple of times. It was Elijah. So I think they're thinking it must have been the, the leather thing. There was no paintings of Elijah. There was no, you know, photographs, of course. Uh, so that's my guess. And some have said over the years, well, Moses was carrying around the, 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 the tablets, I disagree. That's, that's not reasonable. Uh, the, the tablets were just a small, small part of the Moses story. And it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. I, I disagree with that whole thing. Can you imagine calling around the, the tablets? You know, that's just a small I think it was carrying around the staff. That's what I think. That was what defined Moses. Everything he did from that point on was the staff, the staff, the staff, the staff. Does that make sense to anybody here? And when he went up on the, on the mountain to die, he wasn't carrying the tablets. That was just a little, you know, a little teeny bit of Moses' life. He was carrying the, the staff up the hill. And so when he dies, we see him going up the hill, not carrying the tablets, but carrying the, the staff. And so here's my guess. Is they, so they saw him carrying the staff, and they're going, that's Moses. Of course it's Moses. So they see these two identifying objects there. And, of course, it was Jesus. And so they begin to identify that, and then Peter has this crazy comment. We'll build a little, little hut for all three of you guys. <laughs> Peter, you don't get it. We appreciate your enthusiasm. But take your ADD medication. It'll be okay. <laughs> you know, he was marked forever by the unique 
thing that God had, had given him, the unique staff that he'd given him. This is my last point here. Here's a thought. I think that each one of us in this room, let's go around the whole world, have a, uh, a, a unique staff upon our lives that God has called us to uh, allow us to grasp onto. I don't know what yours is. I know that mine is unique from yours. Yours is unique from the person sitting next to you. If you're married, the person sitting next to you might be your, your wife or your husband. Yours is unique from them. If you look over the, the vast body of Christ, I read the other day that uh, we hear all this thing about Islam this, Islam that. You know what? The, the uh, Pentecostalism, charismatism, <laughs> charismaticism is growing far faster, far larger than the, the increase of Islamism. Since 1901, when Pentecostalism broke out in Azusa Street, well, it actually started in Topeka, Kansas, then it went to Azusa Street when it broke out. It has grown far faster, far larger than Islam has since uh, the year whenever Islam started in 350 or 600, something like that. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Uh, you know, so what is happening in the world is that Christianity is growing far faster, far larger. We hear these sob stories, maybe in America and Western Europe, it's one thing. But around the world, Asia, Africa, and uh, South America, it is like going great guns. It is exploding. And it has to do with Pentecostalism, the, the power of the Spirit breaking loose. I think that's very interesting, isn't it? Okay. And so... Uh, where was I? Um, I? I think what's going on in all of our lives, and those believers, wherever they happen to be, that are joining up today by the thousands, by the ten thousands, maybe by the hundreds of thousands, just today, even believing in Jesus, beginning to follow Jesus, there is a unique staff, a unique calling upon their lives that they will no longer need to worry about their lives counting. They can leave the fear of never having a life that counts they can walk beyond it. They don't need to worry about uh, the, the spiders, <laughs> about the, you know, where their crazy, irrational fears are. My life will never count, and I need to worry about that, and so forth. They, we grab onto our staff, and we are marked for the rest of our lives here and for the rest of eternity. We are like Moses. We will go on and on and on and on. We can leave our worries behind because we are counting on God to allow it to mark us. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. We can keep on keeping on. We can keep on hanging in there. As Paul says over and over again, we can walk in the Spirit. We can just enjoy and relax. Don't you like that? I kind of like the idea of relaxing, don't you? Okay, I like it. I don't do so well with not relaxing. I don't feel so well when I don't relax. And so we can just, you know, kind of let the, the, the presence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and, and I think it's the only way we can really survive and, and let God flow through us is by relaxing. But we, we have to grab on to the, the, the staff, the, the rod that God has given us, and just to walk forward. Let the, the, the power, the, the empowered rod that was a snake, that, that again, you never know what's going to happen because it's an empowered life. And so what we need to do is just say, God, and, and here's the interesting prayer. I, I think we see it repeated over and over again. The only prayer we really need to pray is here I am. We see it repeated over and over and over. Here I am. That's the, 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 the activistic prayer that we see throughout the Bible. And, and you know what's really interesting that we see God defining himself as over and over again as God says, here's my name, I am. You know, here's my name, I am. 
And, uh, and we say to God, here I am. That's what the prayer we see repeated over and over again in Scripture. Here I am, and he says, I am. Those two things fit perfectly together, perfectly together. And so we pray, here I am. And God gives us just a, uh, the power of his presence, the power of his presence. And, and we are able to walk with that unique marking, uh, just not the rest of our lives. And, and I think, I don't, know what, I don't know if you know what your, your unique uh, rod staff is. It's yet for us to discover, perhaps. But as we pray, here I am. I, I believe that God will, will begin to uh, reveal that to us. I, and again, let me just say something in closing here. Um, I believe the very root of what we need to do is to, I think, attack the root of our, our fears of not enough. We said it a couple of times in the series. I want to say it again today and take a step toward annihilating that. I'm not the only one that believes this throughout church history, and, and people alive today certainly believe this, that uh, the root of all of our fears of not enough is this idea that uh, we'll, I will not be provided for uh, financially. Uh, with th That is the very root of it. It, it, it goes out through a whole delta of things. It's kind of like the, the Mississippi River. It goes out like a, just a whole finger of things. If we can annihilate it at the very beginning of the delta, we can do death to the whole thing. And all sorts of other problems will be taken care of. And so what we want to do, we passed these cards out a couple of weeks ago. We want you to, we said it was, we want you to uh, pray, to think, and to ponder, God, what are you saying to me in terms of where I am right now in terms of trusting in you with my future, with what I'm, what's going on right now, with, with my um, fear of not enough provision in my life. And so we said, you know, all we want you to do, we're not asking you to reveal anything to anybody else, but just to say, God, what are you calling me to do as a discipline in terms of walking with you, in terms of my provision with you? And what we want you to do is just, we, we hope that you've prayed about this, you've been listening to the Lord. What we want you to do is just to, having heard that from the Lord, sign your name at the bottom. We're not asking you to do anything else, you know, to say anything else to anybody else, but just to sign your name at the bottom. I have heard something in a disciplined way. Not just to give God a tip every once in a while, but in a disciplined percentage way that you're going to do something. It's, it's really a powerful thing. Paul says, as God has blessed, give back to him. And I, he's implying really a, a disciplined process goes on. And, and so as you do that, I, I think that he will show up in some profound, powerful ways. And so for the next 365 days, we, we uh, agree to pray for you specifically. And so what we're going to do is we are going to pray for you. We're going to have uh, Pastor Larry, Pastor Josh sign their names. You sign your name underneath. We're going to send it back to you. And you can put it in your Bible. You can, my Bible's right here. It's called an iPad. So I don't know. We can glue it to the back of my iPad. I don't know what. But, okay. You could put it on your, your, on your, if you have a regular physical Bible, or you might put it in your refrigerator. Uh, if you have a journal, which I do have as a journal, like you put it in your journal, wherever you want to put it so it might be a reminder. You might want to put it in your dashboard of your car. I don't know. But this is, is a thing, you know, God, I thank you that you have spoken to me and that you are faithful. And I, I just say to you, God, that I, I, I walk that direction. I am moving as you have spoken to me. Lord, show up in my life. Do you like that idea? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. So sign your name. And if, by the way, if you have a name, you write like a doctor, we may not be able to read it. So you might need to spell your name out in block letters or something underneath there. So 
And if your neighbor there says, can you read that? And he's no, then say, would you, maybe you need to spell it out for me because I can't really spell and block letters either. So, you know, uh, you might want to do that. So uh, anyway, so why don't we go ahead and, and spell it out. Uh, uh, offering takers, come on up here. We're going to take an offering as usual up here now as well. So we need to do both at the same time, if we could. And uh, offering takers, and uh, we're going to put that in there as along with the offering and so forth. Okay, why don't you guys take the offering? I'm sorry, take the offering. Lord, we, we thank you have given to us. We pray that as you take our, our, um, our gifts back to you, our tithes and offerings, that you would uh, change the world through what we give now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 